Hello, everybody. We're back. Another episode of the Canna Book Club. Phenotypic plasticity influences the success of clonal propagation in industrial pharmaceutical cannabis sativa is on deck. I was really excited about the facility that they did the experiment at last week. This week, I'm not so excited, Casey Elberon. This one was done at, like, one of the, I don't know, just one of these other ones in Canada that we don't really speak about too many times, but I won't hold it against them. I know it's difficult to find spaces to do experiments in. Casey's here. Everybody's here. Canna Book Club crew. Molly's back. Molly, good to see you again. Glad you're feeling better. Casey Alberon, take it away. Canna Book Club round. I don't even know. So many episodes at this point. This is episode, ooh, what episode is this? This is episode 28, paper 28. Wow. All right, welcome back, everyone. Resonate family. Uh, today, we are talking about um, lights. Um, cannabis Club, every week we get together, we talk about a scientific cannabis research paper, uh, usually on the topics of horticulture or genetics or phytochemistry. We, we branch into a lot of things here. Uh, I'm gonna take away with the intro and break the ice on the paper and my fellow co-hosts will help me out with each section of the paper and we'll come back together for a discussion at the end. So this paper, uh, the study was published in 2019 uh, in the very prospective journal PLOS1, written by Campbell Narain and Des Fresny out of the Ryerson University. Uh, in Toronto, Canada. I'm gonna read the abstract now. The burgeoning cannabis market requires evidence-based science such that farmers can quickly and efficiently generate new plants. In part, horticultural operations are limited by the success of cloning procedures. Here we measured the role of environmental conditions and cultivar identity on the success of generating long branch material with many meristems in planting stock aka mothers, and in rooting success of stem-derived clones. To evaluate the influence of lighting treatments on the optimal production of branching mothers, four lighting conditions, that is fluorescent high output T5s, or T5, metal halide lamps, or MH, plasma lamps, or PL, um, and finally the metal halide lamps augmented with far red LED lights, or MH with FR. Uh, these were applied to two cultivars of container-grown plants, Bubba Kush and Ghost Train Haze, grown in peat-based peat organic substrates in mylar grow tents, to evaluate the influence of lighting, cutting tools, secateurs or scalpels, and stem wounding, uh, either present or absent, on optimal rooting of stems. Three lighting conditions, fluorescent T8, T5, PL, were applied to three cultivars of peat pellet-grown plants, uh, the Bubba Kush and Ghost Train Haze and Headband. Mothers grown under T5 and MH versus the Far Red produced about 30% more meristems. However, growing mothers under the Far Red were 19% taller than mothers under T5 with about 25% longer internodes on dominant stems than plants under any other lighting condition. Canopies were denser um, under T5 because petiole length was about 30% shorter under T5 and fan leaves were longer and narrower under everything else pretty much. Uh, cultivar ghost train haze stems rooted most frequently and most quickly. 
Wounded stems are 162% more likely to root than unwounded stubs and rooted a day and a half earlier. Our results will guide producers attempting to maximize the rate of clone production of in licensed facilities, although results may differ among cultivars, where cultivars differed in their average phenotypes as mother plants and their propensity to root from cuttings and the speed of which they produce those roots. Whew. It's going to be a, a pretty simple one. That's kind of the whole paper there. Um, kind of wish they didn't tell us everything of the results, so now I'm not going to have much to talk about later, but that's okay because there's other cool things to mention about this paper. So, um, Molly, you want to take it away with the intro? Yes. Um, so this is actually, again, cloning one of my favorite topics uh, to talk about. Um, as we know, cannabis is an annual crop, um, and we've been cultivating it for um, you know all kinds of different reasons, but in this one, we're specifically focusing about uh, commercial cultivation for um, consumption, um, for medical purposes mostly. Um, it's a huge blow in market, and a lot of it relies on the ability of our producers to, you know, replicate the plants and um, basically like clone them as fast as possible. Um, Unfortunately, there is pretty limited knowledge of the horticultural practices that can maximize the cannabis production. Um, there's few publications that are describing evidence-based practices, um, and they're also going to review some of that uh, knowledge in this uh, paper. So because it's such an emerging market, we do require evidence-based uh, science. Um, and so, you know, we can uh, speed up these processes like cloning um, so that we can make sure that we constantly have a supply of plants coming through. Um, the success of these producers usually limited by the success of their cloning procedures. Um, so for those of you who don't know, to produce clones, uh, growers harvest the stems from mother plants um, mother plants are, you know, plants that we keep in veg for a very long time to ensure that we can keep the genetics going. Um, and so part of the process is that they cut the mare stems, um, they use some hormones in order to um, promote the growth of the uh, roots. Um, and the success of that process is going to be a key determination of the efficiency of the operation. Uh, so here in this paper, they're exploring the influence of um, the cultivar and environment on the stem growth of mother plants, and also on the rooting success of the clones that are being taken from those mother plants. Um, the, uh, basically, the size of mother plants and how their stems are structured is going to determine you know, how many clones they can take, um, one of the most influential environmental conditions that can help with, uh, you know, producing bigger mother plants is lighting. And uh, here <clears throat> they're mentioning that many plants increase internode length as a response to intercepting increased far red light. Um, that could also influence the number of clones that that mother could produce. Um, the metal halide lights tend to radiate a spectrum that can reduce internode length, but it can also limit the growth, which is pretty interesting. And uh, finally, the plasma lights uh, usually exhibit uniform photosynthetic photon flux, and so they better replicate the solar spectrum. And because of that, they promote more growth indoors. Um, so modifications to lighting can alter physical appearance of the mother plants, and they can allow a single plant to produce quite a lot of clones. Um, and especially when restricted to growing indoors, 
and they must provide supplemental lighting um, to those plants so they can manipulate the photo period. Um, however, there is a <clears throat> pretty huge variety of lighting technologies available and very sparse peer-reviewed data uh, comparing those systems and how they impact cannabis clone growth, development, and the yield. In particular, there is little evidence-based research about the sensitivity of um, mother plants of cannabis to lightning environments, as well as the consequences of lightning uh, for clone and propagation, especially influence of light source and um, how it affects cultivars and how it affects them across their life stages. Um, another number of uh, conditions can influence the growth and rooting um, can be humidity, temperature, cutting length, the stem thickness, season, and then also the age and health of the mother plant that the clones are being taken from. Uh, and yet there is still little published data that is describing the effect of light, the cutting methods, and uh, spatial arrangement of cuttings on the success of those cuttings. So by modifying the conditions under which the clones are taken, we could increase the number of clones that can be successfully um, propagated uh, and the speed at which they do that. Um, the basal stem wounding uh, combined with applications of the auxin IBA, the hormone, uh, has been shown to encourage rooting in difficult to propagate plant populations. And exposure of vascular cambium, sorry, one second, and uh, secondary xylem to the rooting environment can be beneficial by inducing hormonal changes in plant tissues. Um, and then the propagation of other plants, they've been mentioning how um, the wounding can enhance rooting when also exposed to that hormone. Um, but it's important to know that wounding alone is not going to increase the rooting ability. Um, so I found that to be pretty interesting. Some cannabis growers suggest that wounding may be a useful method for enhancing rooting speed in the high, like high-scale production of clones. Um, and uh, also the other thing that they wanted to mention here is that managing water stress in uh, clones is essential to encourage the rooting of clones. Uh, previous studies revealed that um, optimal relative humidity conditions for rooting are specific, um, sorry, spe species specific. And uh, if wounding is not imposed, they usually they do a 45 uh, degree cut and that maximizes the contact between the tissue surface area with the rooting medium. However, if a tool damages the stem's vascular system during that process, um, the clone can experience water stress regardless of what environment it is, um, as well as vascular tissue can be um, occluded by microorganisms that are present in the stem or can be transferred from the cutting surface uh, during the cloning process. Um, they did not encounter studies comparing the efficacy of cutting tools. Um, they chose to compare two cutting methods um, that usually is used, you know, um, and uh, sharp scalpels, they mentioned, can be less damaging to the tissue, um, but pruning shears that are normally, I think, used in the facilities are uh, safer to use. And so they had two main objectives uh, to identify optimal lightning environments for the product, uh, productive uh, production of mothers and to assess the ideal method for producing root and stems. And so they had like two questions here that they asked. The first one being how does lighting condition and genotype influence the number and size of clones that a mother plant can generate? And the other question was, does root and success of stem cuttings vary among genotypes and lighting environments? So we're going to go 
through methods. Uh, methods and methods next. <laughs> Excellent. Dr. Anna, can you believe this? They decided to listen to Strain and Cultivar and throw that out the window and, and go with genotypes. How do you feel about their use of use of genotypes in here? I just I wanted to throw that out there before I got into this because I saw that and I kind of I kind of scoffed at it a little bit. What was your reaction to that? They didn't actually take the genotypes of these plants, so how do they know they were different genotypes? They're assuming that because they have different names, but they have different names because they're different strains. Whether they're cultivars or not is really up for discussion as well because. Um, yeah, like they don't know you, they didn't really do any assessment on these plants they just have some plants called something and i don't know really what they have is phenotypes yeah and so it's really funny when they just say that like in their question about genotypes and then right here a couple sentences in or the second sentence they go two cultivars like can you guys pick one like, I, don't, I just, I don't know how that one slipped. I'm just saying, but that one just doesn't, I don't know. They, they I guess the people who even wrote it don't even know which one to choose, it seems like, because they'd use it interchangeably well, right there within a paragraph of each other. Yeah, and, and these are literally phenotypes, like chemotype is part of the phenotype, right? So they've got, their, they're talking about their CBD-THC ratios, but that's a phenotype that has nothing to do, well, it does have something to do with the genotype, but since they didn't do any genotyping, they really can't call it that yeah so just wanted to point that out because i know you and i are good old battle buddies on that one already and i figured we could find some common ground in here and be like man these guys are really getting it wrong <laughs> so as we've established bubba kush and ghost train Hayes uh were included in both the experiments uh we do have the bubba kush uh possessing again a high thc to cbd ratio and the same with ghost train Hayes. We do have a flowering difference here. Uh, Bubba Kush does flower a little bit earlier at 63. And Ghost Train Hayes, since it has that quote-unquote sativa lineage, uh, is going to go a little bit longer, uh, 70 to 84 days. And then they also had a third uh, cultivar. They chose this one, not genotype, uh, included in the clonal experiment only. And this was a headband, uh, again, high THC uh, to CBD. So pretty basic so far, again. No clones in the flowering period, boys and girls. We're keeping it real, doing it in vegetation. Uh, the size of these clones, though, are actually quite long, uh, I believe, especially at a large-scale facility. I don't know how they have enough plants to take these long cuttings, so we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, but seeds were planted on the 27th of November in 2013. Uh, we have little black plastic seedling trays that are doing that, so 72 cells, so a giant propagation uh, tray. Uh, we went to later transplanted uh, about a month later into square nursery pots, so st fairly standard again. And then they were transplanted into a 7.6 liter pot in late January, where we're really kind of getting into a full size here, and then further expanding to 18.9, which I think is 5 gallons, 4 gallons, somewhere in there, I believe, 4, I think it is. Um, April 2014 was when it pushed on through to create a population uh, for the potential mothers. Yeah, 4 or 5 gallon, that makes sense for a mother plant. All plants were watered and fertilized according uh, to the to Tweed SOP, uh, Standard Operating Procedure. And uh, so, yeah, uh, 
Uh, hilarious to say the least. Uh, grown under 6400K T5 fluorescent lights uh, until the experiments began. So uh, we're just dealing with the standard uh, one essential like tube lighting. I know it's you know a little bit different, but if you're looking at a light, it's essentially the tube lighting one uh, for you know just a basic nomenclature for you. Uh, our ghost train Hazen headband mothers were grown under that T5 lighting prior to cloning while the Bubba Kush was maintained uh, under a metal halide lamp. So just as like a grower's concern, like that metal halide for sure is going to do a little bit better with your Bubba Kush rather than the T5. T5s are usually just used for clones. So just to, again, to kind of give a, you know, a difference, give a high intensity discharge uh, bulb here with a metal halide versus a T5. So definitely lower uh, light capacity with the T5. For the cloning experiment, all clones were taken on the same day. This is really important. Uh, so all clones on the December 10th, uh, a single mother plant of each variety produced 244 ghost train, ghost train haze clones. Sorry, 244 clones is too many to be taking off a single mother. I just want to say that. And 288 headband clones. Uh, yeah, ensuring genetic homogeneity, homogeneity, help me with that, Casey. How can I not say that word at the end? Homogeneity? Homogeneity, yeah. There we go, of experimental plants. Yeah, right. You guys took 244 clones from the exact same space on that mother plant, providing the same light intensity? Yeah, right, kids. Sorry, I don't like that sentence. It's just... The sheer amount of size of plant that you have to take 200 cuttings from, and we'll get into the length in a second. I mean, yeah, I have questions about this one, as you all can tell. I'm, I'm a little bit kind of thrown by it. Um, so we have a whole bunch of clones coming off. That Bubba Kush one that we have, uh, we have 190 uh, coming off of that one, and one grown from seed for 11 months uh, was also taken within this as well, and they were both grown for seven months as well, the secondary mothers. So the two clones of the first mother. Now this is where, again, the amount of clones and the length of these clones are, are very interesting to me. So they took branches that are 20 centimeters long. And so a standard ruler is 30 centimeters, 12 inches. So we're talking like, what, 10 and a half inch clones? You took 244 10 and a half inch clones in the exact same to ensure... Yeah, right. Uh, again, I just don't believe it. I'd have to really see that. You'd have to have like 3D lighting around the entire thing to make sure that the density of the lighting, the intensity was the same. Anyway, so we have pruning shears uh, that were used, like Molly mentioned. Uh, they were placed in a 500 milliliter water and a 5 mil of 5% hydrogen peroxide until the application of treatments. So that was really interesting. Uh, usually I just hear about water uh, with the clones. I'm not familiar with the 5% hydrogen peroxide in there as well. Uh, that might be a closet trick with trying to oxygenate water. Uh, if I were to just kind of take a, a random guess off of that. Cut clones were stripped of the lower fan leaves using pruning shears. And then were recut with a 45 degree angle at the 15 centimeter length. So, yeah, still, these are long, these are huge clones. Pruning shears and scalpels were replaced regularly to ensure they mean, remain sharp and hopefully, you know, mitigating any fungal or uh, any sort of issues that are happening carrying on there. And then the bottom of each clone stem was then dipped in number one stem root, which I, I, we've done, I've done trials at facilities with this. I definitely want to get into that a little bit. Um, and they also inserted them into GrowTech Flexi Plugs. So there are these little kind of peat-based plugs. 
uh, that we're dealing with. And there's a figure in here where we'll get to a picture to show you all those as well. Um, the uh, trays were covered with a humidity dome and closed vents, so we're making sure that the climate in there is uh, very, very um, tight as far as humidity is concerned and temperature. So we're dealing with 26 degrees Celsius uh, as far as temperature is concerned, nice and cozy. Uh, and the clones generally <laughs> produced roots between 5 to 35 days uh, following cloning. That is a wild. I wish I had that uh, amount of swing at my facility to get away with it, five to 35 days. That'd be great. Um, to create isolated blocks, they use independently HEPA-ventilated uh, Mylar grow tents. So uh, anything that you're looking for online to start a grow at home, this is the kit that you'll find. Uh, and they had positive uh, atmospheric pressure. Uh, so that way that there's uh, negative pressure, I believe the wind, the walls of the tent are sucking in and positive pressure is blowing out so that way they're not bringing in all of the things that are in that room. They're making sure that the pressure is positive so that the growing environment is pushing things out uh, to also block, you know, just in case any contaminants come through uh, the potential air duct. So that's also something key um, for growers to know as well. Um, each tent contained four 36-cell cloning trays. Uh, clones were uh, randomly and blindly assigned to a treatment uh, combination tray and the location within the tree, uh, within trays to minimize uh, positional effects. So same type of thing with shading. Um, clones were watered as needed with a solution of 76 liters water and a company-specific company 76-liter nutrient solution because, yeah, Tweed's doing something so wildly crazy with their nutrients. Uh, 340 milliliters hydrogen peroxide uh, at a pH of 5.8 and an EC electrical conductivity of 1.2. So we do have a little bit of nutrients in there. 1.2 is typically, you know, a little bit higher than, you know, kind of old school thinking. But I know from a larger agriculture um, background with folks, you know, 1, 1.2 is definitely something that they're doing with clones all across uh, the world uh, as far as doing it on the large scale. On day three, the humidity dome vents were opened. So that's extremely important as well. So to release that humidity inside the dome. On day six, uh, they were removed for seven, several hours a day. So you're essentially giving your clones a little bit of uh, humidity break, a little bit more humidity. It's a process uh, where you're going outdoors called hardening off. And this is just the indoor version of that. So you don't want your clones to instantly go into your bedroom of 70% from 90. It's going to cause a little bit of shock. So in order to kind of bring down that shock of the plants going to the transplant stage, you'll do it for a few hours at a time. And then eventually, as they mentioned here in the study, they'll entirely remove those domes on day 10 and then never put them back on again. Uh, they were recording all of our environmental parameters uh, and making sure that they uh, were using external probes uh, to ensure that the root zone temperature was set. Our treatments that we used uh, during the mother experience we used that these uh, folks used. So to determine the influence of lighting environment, um, they uh, designed a completely randomized block experiment where the plants, again, the two cultivars, Bubba Kush and Ghost Train Hayes, they were randomly assigned to these tents and they are exposed to one of four lighting treatments uh, that Casey covered earlier. Again, we have the fluorescent T5s. We have 1000 watt metal halides um, and high pressure sodium. Uh, we have a metal highlight and high-pressure sodium lamp with a far red LED or plasma lights. So quite a few different things going on for sure. 
They did measure the photon flux within the tent, and it was measured at multiple sites and standardized to within 10 micromoles across all the replicates. So we're doing good there. Uh, and as per industry standard, uh, we used a 24-hour photo period uh, and raised the lights as plants grew to maintain a standard height um, of lights above plants for the duration of experiment. Now, I don't know if it's an industry standard. You know, a lot of folks do do 18 and 6, so they'll leave the lights on for 18 hours uh, and then impose 6 hours of darkness just to give their plants a little bit of a break and then, you know, restart again after that. There's a little bit of a figure here that kind of illustrates how uh, they did uh, the different blocks. So I'll leave that uh, to folks to kind of take a look at that. So for the clonal experiment, they used a random block design again where the cutting tool... Uh, stem wounding and lighting and uh, genotype were the main effects. So we'll go through that schematic in just a little bit. And again, there we go. We kind of have a visual of what they're doing uh, as far as cloning is concerned. And so they did two replicates per combination with 12 stems per cultivar by cutting tool. So making sure that they had 836 total clones involved in the actual wounding treatment that they did to determine uh, if the cutting tool was influenced the rooting success, branches were cut uh, into clothes with either the scalpel or the pruning shears uh, to determine whether they experienced wounding that would produce roots. Half of the clones were wounded by removing tissue at the bottom 5% and the others were done with scraping of a scalpel, uh, which is super interesting for sure. That's definitely the two um, kind of standard different ways that are out there. Uh, they uh, compared uh, everything, of course, with the different... Uh, types of lights that we have again fluorescent and the 300 watt plasmas and the photon flux again 10 moles so definitely doing well uh, they did 24 hours for that uh, as well uh, light uh, data collection is concerned so they uh, collected all their data i don't think i have too much to say about that one they did do standard kind of lactate testing lec lactate i hope that's the one the right word where i'm pronouncing it again and they used a very fancy um, HANA Instruments uh, combo pen. This is, you know, other than Blue Lab, this is one of the most expensive uh, PHEC meters on the market. So uh, as far as, you know, having their instruments being, you know, kind of high uh, value, they definitely took care of that. On each plant, they measured key morphological features to try and predict the clonal yield. So I find that extremely interesting. Uh, and they measured the height of each plant from the first node to the tallest apical Mary stem um, and stem diameter. So a couple of different measurements uh, that are happening here. And they also measured the length of all the laterals um, that were derived from the shortest and the tallest branches. So on each individual, they measured the length of all the inner nodes, tallest and shortest um, in the upright branches. And because leaf area is really responsive to light quality and obviously super important, um, they also tried to measure the morphological consequences of light on leaf shape. That is something I'm super interested uh, to get into as well. So, um, yeah, this is this is a really cool experiment. I think they have pretty much checked all the boxes as far as being fairly standardized. Um, I wish that they would have went into their nutrients a little bit more. The nutritional um, breakdown is definitely, you know... For example, some people will use a little bit more phosphorus uh, to kind of induce that root growth in the beginning. Uh, there's products specifically made to do that. So I'm just curious if maybe they're maybe throwing that into there. You know, some people just use standard, you know, nitrogen and just kind of go with the nutrients that are in a recycled system. 
there's many different ways um, that the nutrients kind of happen in that way. So that would be the only thing that I would kind of point out as well is that I really want to know just from like a nutrient perspective what uh, what was actually going on. So um, I think that's it for me. I think I've covered materials and methods pretty well with this one. There's a lot of, for a grower, there's a lot of interesting things here uh, that they're taking on. And like, honestly, some of these results that they're coming to could because I know that these papers get passed around, you know, different high level cultivation people in the industry, they're going to read this paper and potentially it's going to influence like millions of dollars um, of what happens in their operation. So uh, yeah, super excited to break this one down. And uh, without further ado, I think we're going into results uh, as our next spot. Let's get those results. Thank you, Corey. All right. Uh, first look, I mean, I mentioned a lot of these results from the abstract, unfortunately, but let's go as deep as possible. I just want to kind of run through it. Uh, so first looking at, um, which lighting conditions maximize the number and size of clones that the mother generated, uh, the T5s and metal halide lamps, uh, produced more apical and lateral meristems. That's going to get you more branching. Um, the... Far red spectra grew taller uh, than plants under T5 and had longer internodes uh, on the dominant stems than any other lighting condition. Um, I guess that just benefits with how tall they're going to get, and um, you're going to get a lot more airflow in between. Yay. Uh, plants grown under metal halide lamps produce significantly shorter internodes um, on the lateral branches compared to others. Uh, leaves, the leaves, uh, we've got petiole lengths 30% shorter under T5, so that makes for a denser canopy. Um, the leaves were narrower, or the fan leaves were narrower in the far red. Leaflets were longest under the far red and the plasma lights. So you can even affect your leaf morphologies with your lights. Now, kind of looking at the cultivars, ghost train haze produced 20% more uh, meristems, grew 35% taller, and exhibited 12% longer internodes than Bubba Kush. This is ghost what I'm haze. saying, Kate. Like, that is a monster plant. That ghost train must have been giant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, let's see. Do they have the actual heights? Uh, I don't know if they did actually. It might be in like supplemental information, but it's I don't D. know how top D. D. Right on this oh, far yeah. left corner here. Yeah, and it's so... in centimeters, and it's not even a meter tall. Ah, what? Well, that's strange. I really, you know, maybe I don't want to know that nutrient solution. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> Huh. Yeah. I mean, and that I would assume is, you know, at the end of their growing seat period. So questions, questions, questions. I think I have um, more also... questions now. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I digress. Questions and questionable. Anyway, yeah. Uh, the That ghost train exhibited a denser canopy, like we said earlier. Um, it had 15% shorter petioles, 18% wider 
it was 18% wider and 28% uh, longer leaves than the boba kush. Uh, there wasn't really, they didn't notice a significant interaction between the lighting and cultivar slash genotype. Uh, now, moving on to the rooting, does rooting vary among genotypes and environments? Ghost train haze rooted most frequently and most quickly. I'm, I'm kind of rooting for this ghost train right now. Uh, let's see, figure four. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most of these figures are pretty straightforward, so there's not much to like break down for them. Uh, the stem wounding, though, um, it did improve rooting success, uh, and you can see that in, I mean, the evidence is in table two, um, such that the wounded plants were 162% more likely to root than unwounded wounded stems and rooted a day and a half earlier. That's pretty cool. So a lot of time saved. Days to rooting for headband was unresponsive to wounding treatment, whereas days to rooting was shortened for Bubba Kush and Ghost Train Haze when wounded was applied. And the last section is just the substrate electrical conductivity and pH. Uh, the EC did not change significantly among genotypes nor lining conditions, nor their interaction. Uh, and pH was about 0.48 units lower in pots grown under metal halide lamps uh, with the far red LED um, compared to the pots grown under the T-files. And that's, that's it for results. Pretty, pretty standard. We got some numbers. We got some good stuff. Uh, Dr. Anna? Yes. Want to headline this discussion for us? Sure. All right. So um, they start out with um, saying that adjusting in light, adjusting uh, adjustments in lighting environments for mother plants generally produced either plants with many more meristems but short internode lengths or fewer meristems with longer internode lengths. And I kind of, um, uh, what I <laughs> summarize that as being okay. So either the plants are going to be short and fluffy, or they're going to be tall and skinny, right? Um, so this is revealing a life history trade-off that influences the productions production of clones. Um, and then they go on to so this is kind of the second observation that they made that ghost train haze would be easier to use as a source of clones because it produces more meristems and longer internodes. So um, it was longer and fluffier <laughs> as opposed to the other two, which were either short and fluffy or long and skinny. I don't know. Do they want um, their plants to fall over? Because this is what happens. Like, especially <laughs> this plant and the way they're discussing the morphology of this thing, they would have to be rotating their mothers, like, at least every two months. I've got a cultivar that's very similar to this. And if we don't bang that thing out of there, like, 90 days maximum, she's tipping over. Like, there, there's so many Mary stems that I have to cut out those Mary stems because they're tangling with each other. Like, Well, it's... how many clones did they get off of this? Yeah, like, uh, I'm like, <laughs> like what? 
I mean, a lot, two hundred and a lot. People are targeting um, like twenty to forty on a plant, not not two to three hundred. So it's just like that number stands out incredibly. Again, when you're like maintaining the plant and trying to keep a level canopy, like you don't that amount, especially at the twenty centimeter cut. I mean, there's no way you're I taking it from is. a uniform spectrum area. It has to be a varying area. I think this explains why the plants are so short to babies. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of wish that Darren was here to discuss these. I think they're like, I can't really focus on this because now that Corey's brought up these questionable numbers, like how, how did they like to me, I, I didn't really honestly read the, the, the methods and, <laughs> <laughs> materials and methods because I figured Corey would do a great job of doing that but he brought up a great question like how did they get th that many clones off of one plant that's just crazy and and right like 20 centimeters is not a short clone it's like so, five and a half inches so I'm I mean, just trying to think like pretty long for a clone there's usually like for a clone. there's two scenarios I usually see in facilities there's the one side of it where you know they just Sometimes they don't even put up anything on the floor. They just have a giant, like, 50-gallon pot, 25 to 50-gallon pot. They put it on the floor, and that's their mother. And it's this giant fucking behemoth mammoth of a plant. And then there's other situations where you'll have, like, a Dutch roll, like a rolling bench or gutters, and you'll put, you know, 20 to 100 mother plants on these tables and, you know, maintain it that way. So that's where, you know, I'm thinking that it might be just one of these giant things just kind of like there. And I mean, yeah, that's, you know, that's a real uh, traditional way to do it. It's not exactly maintainable on a large scale. So, right, um, right. yeah, it was just it was definitely something that kind of stuck out to me a little bit in this in this one, especially just, you know, the size of the clones. So. Well, are they doing it at a facility or are they doing it? At a university. Yeah. No, they're doing it at Tweed. So Canopy, Canopy Growth Corp. Okay. And they did this back in 2013, 2014. So that was quite a while ago. And then the paper came out in 2018. So we're looking at, this happened like eight years ago. And I don't know what the situation was with Tweed back then. Definitely um, traditional growers just trying to wing it and see how she goes. That's probably why they did this paper, to be honest. <laughs> Oh, and then uh, they also noted that ghost uh, train haze um, was more likely to root more quickly than the other cultivars. So, you know, here we've, we've got three cultivars that we're working with. So, and that's a really small number of cultivars to be, as always, in these cannabis papers. Like, they don't often use a lot of, you know, one, two, three strains maybe um, for these uh cultivation um type experiments so we've got one that performs really well and the other two are different from each other so it's like you've got three different scenarios um so again what you can glean out of this paper may or may not be useful because to me it's just kind of saying well we found all this stuff but it's not <laughs> like so go take this to your your facility and and do it yourself because we can't really tell you much yeah, like, you know I mean? <laughs> they did do, like, as far as trying, you know, if it was what the cultivar is that they say it is, 
they did do a fairly good selection as far as like morphology is supposed to be like ghost train mm-hmm. haze is not going to be above a kush it's just mm-hmm. it's going to be totally different so and same with headband in there that's kind of also another nice little wild card so they did do a pretty like if it is what it says it is they did do a good selection i feel for trying to have that randomness where you know yeah that ghost train haze is going to act totally different than the bubba kush for sure yeah you definitely want to pick three things that are totally different from each other and they perform totally different in the experiment which is kind of what you'd expect when you choose three totally different things right so um and uh let's see what's the next thing they say um clonal oh production of adventitious roots in Stem cuttings appears to be positively influenced by stem wounding, but not influenced by lighting condition or cutting tool. So I guess wounding helps the plant's root, the clone's root. Mm, go scratch up your clones. Yeah, I've seen a total total coin flip on that one. Sometimes it works so well, yeah, and then other it. times it's just like, sweet, that didn't work. So, and then I've also seen where people will uh, have the stem, they'll place it flat, and they'll make a, a like a T cut. They'll make like a little cut initially, just kind of up the stem, and then at the top of it, they'll make like another kind of T cut. So kind of that's the way the roots come out. Instead of just doing like a scraping of a wounding, they'll make a couple incisions to promote the roots to come out. Mm-hmm. So is that what they talk about when they mention wounding? Is just like extra cuts that they make besides the forty-five degree angle one? Yeah, or they'll scrape it. They'll take the clone, and at the end of it, they'll usually scrape off kind of that tissue, and that's supposed to have the oxen come in a little bit easier and then root shoot. Because it it depends on the cultivar based on the Jillian ones that I've cloned before. Um, A lot of the times, if you do the scraping or if you do that additional cut, they actually won't root at all. They will actually rot while they're in the pluck and everything else was fine that's why i've tried to mess with it a few times and we've done it at the facilities too but at home i never do that anymore because like i just do the normal 45 degree cut angle and they root within seven days always so well these folks got five to 35 days five to 35 days you're gonna get a 99 99 (laughs) success rate on um like the 45 degree angle plus the rooting gel and i've even done that in a cardboard box quite literally can we just throw it out there though for the community like who the hell is waiting 35 days for roots on their clones like i'm throwing that shit out at definitely day 15 like we really even for experimental purposes you seriously waited 35 days for roots Woo wee! it would be nice to know a little bit about how they you know like i don't know maybe i missed it but Oh, there it is, days to rooting. Uh, but even the days to rooting, they only go up to 18. So, are they so. are they not including some? I don't, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, okay, it's just like a financial from Canopy, half-assed. <laughs> well, it's like, it's uh, there's so many questions in this paper, you know? Clonal propagation of cannabis uh, may be increased by wounding the stem cuttings and maybe influenced by diverse lighting conditions uh, for the mother plants, depending on the desired morphological outcome. So potentially you can, you can manipulate your lighting conditions in order to kind of drive morphologies that you're looking for is kind of what I got out of that, which is kind of interesting um, and could be useful for, for somebody to take that information and run with it. 
I'm going to move down a little bit, and this kind of goes along with the first thing they said in the very first part of the discussion. As predicted based on other studies of photomorphogenic responses, the four light spectra had strong influences on plant architecture but revealed a trade-off between the number of meristems and the length internodes. So that's exactly what they were saying in the first part of the discussion. Um, selection of lighting is perhaps the best – Is perhaps best decided by a grower's preference of clone morphology, either relatively long or short internodes. Um, and although changing lighting conditions to metal halide augmented with far uh, red LED um, lengthened the internodes in statistically significant ways, the increase is probably industrially insignificant that were detected so although they did see statistical differences it probably wouldn't make that big of a difference in a large operational setting um and then i'm going to move on to the next page so cultivar selection will influence the rate of clone production since the genotype had such an impact on both the number of stem cuttings available and their rate of rooting um so um the growth rates commonly differ among genotypes in many plant species, and importantly, many plant species have shown genotypic differences in plant architecture and physiology in response to environmental variation, including visible spectra. So choosing cultivars that show aggressive growth rates that tend to naturally have longer internodes may improve yield of clones from mothers. However, this is really rarely the single most important consideration for cultivar selection in a licensed facility. So basically, choose good genetics, but that's not going to be your only consideration. There's lots of considerations to decide on when you're picking your different cultivars that you want to grow, right? So, you know, it comes down to choose good genetics. Oh, yeah. Um, like, within that, I plan my mother room based on, like, how wild cultivars get, too. You know, like... Yeah, if I know things are going to stand up a little bit more, I'm going to put them on a little bit more of a space that, you know, they better stand up good. You know, the ones that fall over, you know, I got to kind of come up with a solution uh, mm -hmm. with that if it kind of gets to that uh, sort of perspective. So, yeah, that's a it's a huge, huge thing based on that, even within that kind of subcategory that we're organizing at that production floor level. Um, and then the last portion of this um, paragraph says something interesting, which is, that for these cultivars, so these three cultivars that they were using, a genotype's ability to exhibit plasticity in growth form in the face of different environmental conditions is not gen genetically determined. This may be the result of repeated informal selection by growers for stable genotypes. So basically they're saying that genotype has more influence over the phenotype than the environment does. But what do they mean by genotype when they're saying it in that sentence, though? That's the other problem that I have with that, is do they mean genotype, phenotype, cultivar, strain, basket of walnuts? Like, what do they actually mean they're, with they're that? They're saying, okay, so the, you know, the general equation is phenotype is the result of your environment and your genotype. So they're saying these plants' genotypes are more strongly influenced uh, or these plants' phenotypes are more strongly influenced or controlled by their genotype rather than the environmental conditions. They're not um, they're not responding to differences in in the, in the environment, so they don't have plasticity like we would expect. And I, my brain says no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that 
<laughs> I think the environment has a lot more uh, influence than they're making in in this grand grand statement here. Um, yeah, they make a few statements in here. They make a few. Yeah, and I mean, we've read papers before where we we know that the environment is going to change the the phenotype, like you know, all of the the THC, CBD, you know, um, terpenes. Um, Anyway, I think that's a pretty bold statement to say, and especially since, you know, they're only working with three cultivars, and they're all, all clones, you know, from one mother. They're not seeds. Um, so I feel like, I don't know, but I guess we are trying to bring in information about clones. I to think the genotype can, like, give a really good foundation for it to be successful, but if you're not growing it, it can totally change how it's behaving and like what it's even gonna smell like when you flower it. And really, light light is a, but one component. You know, if we're talking about growing yeah. in different grow facilities, grow setups, different states, different countries, like I feel like there's gonna be big differences, and it's not just gonna be, oh well, if you put these lights in, you're gonna your plant's gonna perform this way. Yeah, I, I mean, like water alone can cause like you know so much. So yeah, water nutrients. Like even like <laughs> even before you put the nutrients in, sometimes like depending on the area, uh, like we've lived in a place with lots of calcium in the water, um, like to the point where it, like showed up as toxicity. So um, definitely, there's going to be a lot more factors. Um, but again, as they mentioned here too, I think they said that there aren't that many like studies like this one mm -hmm. and so they just basically whatever they had they put together um <laughs> kind of you know i'm grateful that we were able to review that but also it's just still not really given any definite answers for most of the growers on right. like what's the actual proven like 100 percent like foolproof technique that's going to help um there's still a lot of like other factors that people have to consider it's not only just about how you cut it uh, sometimes people manhandle the clones. So between the time that it's cut from the mother until the time that the actual final cut is made and it's put into that plug, there can be a lot of room for error. I've definitely seen people, you know, as they jam a bunch of clones into that cup of water, sometimes because of the amount of clones in there, half of them starts going out of the water. So by the time it gets to the table, well, where you do the rest of the process, uh, it can be half wilting, you know? Um, and that I, I could imagine could affect how fast it will root because the plant will take that amount of time to recuperate from the stress that it went through. And then to start, you know, catching up uh, with the rooting process. Um, and this is me not knowing the scientific side of it, it's just for me, like seeing how the plant has behaved. For the amount of clones that I've taken at the facilities and at home, like at home, I totally took over a thousand clones probably in the past few years. So it was quite interesting. Definitely a good strain that has a vigorous growth. Definitely super easy to clone and it's probably going to give you the least trouble. Um, but there are specific ones that will require a lot more like consideration and making sure that every step you do, you do with like care and the minimal, you know, damage to the plant. Um, and I think those can affect it as well. I think the other key thing, though, that's the, like really underappreciated in this study, though, is that 
that damage that's happening potentially on the clone when you're using pruning shears. I think that is a big thing. I think people are very um, haphazard with their clones and they just cut them and they'll like, you know, hold them in a fist. And so they're crunching that vascular tissue. Like that's, oh yeah, Casey, trust me, brother. I see this all the time. Like it's, it's it happens everywhere. So they're just mishandling it, you know? And I think that's one thing, if anything that I really pull out of this study is focusing on that vascular, making sure the tissue is healthy when I get it from the person cutting it all the way through the chain of custody to that sticking tray. And then I'm also, I mean, obviously, I'm going to start wounding some clowns and see what number two does with it because I got boatloads of number two. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely going to be taking on some of that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm actively trying to do some of this stuff. So this paper was very relevant to my everyday sleeping, waking moments of life right now. Uh, that's why I'm probably so into I'm it, to be honest. I'm kind of curious, because they just used the powder in this experiment for IBA. Um, there's also a gel solution, and I find that the gel sticks better to the actual stand. And so, because it coats it really well, I think uh, maybe that's why it grows faster. At least that's my assumption. Because um, with stem, unless your thing was in the water, and then you roll it, it's you know, a lot of the times just kind of not really working as well. I know people who use both. They use powder and then they use gel. Yeah, it's overkill. So in summary, we can wrap this up and then just discuss more if we want. But in summary, we found that some cultivars possess more traits that make it easier for harvesting stem cuttings and light can augment their plant architecture for the purposes of clonal propagation. These differences were expressed as changes in the number of meristems and internodes further our data is the first um is the first to reveal the tendency for cannabis stem cuttings to produce adventitious roots in uh, is driven by both um both by genotype and stem wounding practices and it's funny you mentioned dr kaplan earlier because he did cite his study and they said, similar to a recent study, which tested the effect of leaf number, we also noted no significant effect of this variable. So, a little bit of shade there, Darren. A little bit of shade they're throwing your way, looks like, maybe. Did they? <laughs> yeah, they what tested the leaf number. Uh, 43. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Well, you know what's Where? interesting in the title, how it's, I'm, you don't usually hear it called industrial pharmaceutical cannabis sativa. That's fancy. So, because they wrote this but in 20, when they did there. the study, was 2013, right? It was 2013. So that was. But it published in 18. So 13, when they actually did the experiment, that was like heyday of medical. Medical was just going off at that time. So it didn't really stop medical until they legalized it, ironically. So till 2018, there was like a solid like five years of just medical facilities doing it. No one was posting re recreational stuff yet. So that is potentially why they tried to go fancy with that because they were right, you know, we were one of the only countries doing that with the large-scale companies. So there you have it, folks. <laughs> Just, if you're trying to, you know, grow, clone and grow, uh, you've got a paper that has some stuff on the lights and the cutting techniques. So try it out. Um, surprise, surprise. Next week we have a surprise guest. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the effects of short-term environmental stresses on the onset of cannabinoid production in young immature flowers of hemp 
Wait, are we talking about how environment influences the cannabis plant? Are we going right back to that? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, let's let's find out from a researcher themselves. Oh, so. which one are we doing? Super excited. Can't okay. wait. Dr. Anubis, you invited them yourself. Hmm. Uh, I know. Oh, the short-term environmental stresses. Yeah. Oh, I know, my. I forget. Oh my god, well, Cannibal you know, Club. Dr. Anna and everybody listening, you could you could uh, check out our public Google Drive that has all of our papers, including this week's, next week's, and all 27 weeks leading up to this. Because we've done 20, this is our 28th paper, y'all. Let's go. Let's keep that's it more going. Papers, that's more papers than I even read in university. <laughs> All right. Absolutely hilarious. We've been doing some homework. I love it. I can't believe that's the number, to be honest with you. That's pretty wild. Really appreciate it. I will put the link for the Google Drive uh, into uh, some of the descriptions somewhere. So this makes all of you, I'm forcing you to go to the YouTubes uh, and the Spotify's and the Googles and the Apples. And uh, yeah, go check which one the description's in. The Google Drive will be there. And this means that everybody can leave a review. You can leave five stars because you're going to all of them. So do it. We'll all appreciate it. Can a book of people get out of here? Go to bed. Resonate Radio, we love you. It's always good to see you. We will see you next time. <laughs>